Uh, okay, we are here. For some reason, it is magically recording. It shows that it's recording on y'all's end, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Eight years of podcasting. I've almost got it down. Awesome. Okay. So we are here. <laughs> uh, Luke is not here with us today. Luke is in a meeting because when I scheduled this interview, I forgot to put PM or AM. So they're all like, hey, aren't we recording now? And meanwhile, I'm watching funny YouTube videos uh, in my underwear because that's how I work. So whoopsie, whoopsie. So we got the team from the Ark and Dove podcast. The Ark and Dove podcast. We got Jay, Edward, and Lewis. How y'all doing? Great. It's good to be with Great. you. Yeah, I'm so glad to be here. It's funny when you have so many people on, it's like, okay, who's going first? Right. Who's going to talk first? Yeah. Yeah. Lewis, are you are you at Washington University? I was. So I, I worked there previously. And I also, I'm, I was a graduate student there. I did some research. I was a research assistant there. And then I worked again there for about a year at this place called the Gephardt Institute. So I was, but this is just like a convenient pullover that I had. So <laughs> but I'm not there anymore. Do I wear the t-shirt for the podcast? Or right, exactly. pullover? <laughs> yeah. I literally have a button up shirt sitting right over there on the treadmill that's unplugged. And yeah, every time it's like time for a meeting. Here we go. <laughs> <That's> not, <laughs> not <paying. laughs> Pantsless in Seattle. Awesome. Yeah. I love uh, my in-laws are from St. Louis. So oh, nice. All St. Louis. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. St. Yeah. Louis is an awesome city. I feel like. It's a super Catholic town. Like I feel like I, whenever I meet people like yeah. in the Catholic world, they're like, "Oh, I know some people in St. Louis." Or like, "Oh, like I had family that lives yeah. there." So it's cool. Yeah, yeah. And the funny thing is, if you go there and you're Catholic, you the question is, "What high school did you go to?" Because usually it's like a Catholic high school. Yeah. Thing. And so I have met people from all over the country, and I'm like, "What high school did you go to?" My wife would murder me if I didn't ask. And they're like, "What? Coryezu, duh." Coryezu. <laughs> oh, that's a deep cut. Wow, that's a real St. Louis deep cut. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the school my wife went to. Oh, okay, uh, cool, cool. Yeah, my wife, one day we were talking, and I said, Shannon, when you were a senior in college, would you have ever dated a freshman in college? And she's like, oh, he'd have to be really mature. And I was like, okay, when, when you were a senior in college, would you have ever dated a senior in high school? She's like, oh, gosh, no. And then she's like, why are you smiling? And I was like, because when you were a senior in college, I was a senior in high school. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. All right, Edward, what are you doing? What are you doing now? What are you up to? So I work uh, in the Archdiocese of Baltimore, so I do have the the appropriate uh, pullover. You are. Right. Yeah, I see I, that too. The Institute for Evangelization. Exactly. So uh, I, I, I get to lead the Institute for Evangelization in the Archdiocese of Baltimore. And How's that working out for you? It... it <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of work uh, seven out of ten <laughs> <laughs> no it's 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 great it's i i've been doing it since i well I've, I've been in the archdiocese doing marriage and family life before this but since 2016 gotcha. but um yeah so it, it's it's going great i love it i've got a good team but there's i mean it's it's maryland and there's a lot of work for evangelization i would say mm. now my question for you is are you going to be there on tuesday night is it Tuesday night or Wednesday night? Tuesday night? You're coming to Baltimore? Oh, Papa Gomer's coming to Baltimore. I'm coming to Baltimore at Christ Life. Okay. And that's Tuesday night? Yeah. Tuesday night. I'm talking about Jesus and Old Testament fulfillment. One of my wheelhouses. <laughs> Very excited. I might have to go then. Okay. See, this <laughs> section. Wait, hold on. This section. Wait, wait. Which section is it? This one right here. This is all of my, my Jewish section. Jewish Christianity section. Woo! Anywho, I'm, this is great podcasting material because I'm pointing to books on the camera. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I'm going to be in Baltimore. Nice. I'm going to be in Baltimore, flying in, hanging out. Yeah, no, we love our Christ life folks. They're awesome. They're awesome. Nice. Right. Are they in the diocese? Are they diocesan ministry? Or are they no? Well, so some of the parishes run Christ Life, but it's it's okay. an independent uh, ministry or what have you. So, gotcha. yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Jay. You are the only one not wearing swag. However, you are in an opulent room. Yes, I'm at, actually I'm at I'm at work. So I work for a corporate golf club, and you know I have my chef whites here. I took them off. Nice. I'm in food service. I brew beer for a living. Ooh, what kind I'm of? I'm not a full time podcaster. Not yet. Not yet. You keep well. The, keep those fires stoked. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, that is an opulent room. So it makes sense that you're at a golf club. What's your favorite kind of beer? Oh, well, it depends on the day and the time of year. Okay, let's say it is today and it's before <laughs> noon. 
If you're a, if you're I'm, a not a, I'm, not a, I'm not a day drinker. Oh. You know, let's, a, let's just imagine you're a full time podcaster, which requires you to be a day drinker. What would you recommend <laughs> to such a person? Right now, I mean, you know, look, the, all the rage right now is hazy IPAs. Really and I, I'm going to tell you right now, they're 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 not. I'm not there. I'm they're not, not the there. most. No. Uh, you're not there with those. Yeah, no. they're all the rage, and they're they're actually the most difficult to brew. They're the most inefficient because you have to backload them with hops. No. And you just don't get the extraction you want out of them. Don't get and me started. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. I tell you. So, are you into stouts? Are you a stout guy? I'm a stout guy. Uh, you know, you are a stout I guy. Actually, am especially coffee stout. It's. Oh, I love it. I just, love it. I just. It's exhausting. It's got to be a dry. It's got to be a drinking dry a stout. When you spill a stout, so I go to this bar called Deacon Baldy's. Great place. I love it. But every so often, I feel like when I spill a stout that I was peer pressured to drink. I, I actually just stained the table, and you could just wipe it in. It's like now it's a dark oak, you know, <laughs> dark like oak. Uh, yeah. I just, I just can't. So, can I tell you what drink I'm really into right now? Listen, and you, you have to swear that you will not shame me for it, okay? But I think the women are right. The women are right. Frozen margaritas is where it's at. Okay. It's triple digit heat here in Houston. Triple digits for two months straight. Frozen margaritas. It's a dry it's heat, right? It's a bullshit. Man, no, it is a, it is a wet heat. <laughs> It is a wet heat. I get up from my chair because uh, my air conditioning doesn't work because it's 25 years old. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Is that really what I smell like? It's beautiful. <laughs> my wife loves it when I work from home. She's like, put on pants. And I'm like, nope. I have two Zoom calls today. Not putting on pants. It's a matter of principle. Okay. Well, that- <laughs> now that we've had this fun stuff out of the way. So we brought you on the show principally to talk about the ser- the serial podcast. Well, how do we call it? Narrative podcast. Narrative podcast. Ark and Dove. Yeah, I just want we just wanted to give you all the floor to talk about it and go through it because there aren't very many narrative podcasts like this. I don't know if you've got to listen to uh Mrs. Ruby's Parasocial. Oh man, that podcast. It's like it's done like serial, but it's about a, a guy who is stalking her and it was the most bizarre dude in the world who was apparently independently wealthy. And yeah, it's just the creepiest thing in the world. But it, it's like awesome. I love Serial podcasts like that, narrative podcast, parasocial. They're both writing it down. I know. I'm writing it down. I'm like, I'm not At first, when you told me that Ark and the, uh, the podcast is called Ark and Dove, I thought it was a charismatic podcast. Do you it know does why? kind of sound like it, actually, now that I think about it. The, yeah. <laughs> well, the famous Duquesne retreat was at the Ark and Dove Retreat Center, which still exists. And Dave Van Vickle, my podcast, was from Every Knee Shall Bow. He's a big Ark and Dove Retreat Center guy. I mean, if you got us, oh, it's about the renewal. If we got funding, we could do a a podcast on the charismatic renewal, too. (laughs) I feel like that'd be an interesting podcast, actually. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about the show. I I guess I'll kind of kick it off a little bit. But yeah, the Ark and the Dove five episode narrative podcast, uh, like the serial style, kind of this American life esque is the is the field that we're going for and it really details a bit about the history of the black catholic church and uh the black catholic church kind of the historical origins here in the united states but then also gets to the contemporary period with the the death of george floyd following his death and kind of some key catholics around the country and their their reaction uh to that and along the way, we talk a little bit about blockbusting in Baltimore City, both from the lens of the neighborhood and also uh, the lens of the church. And then we talk about St. Francis Academy, which is a, a Catholic school that was founded by Mother Mary Lang here in the Archdiocese of Baltimore and kind of a, a scandal that happened around the, the football team back in 2018. So that's just a kind of broad, broad strokes or what have you. Gotcha. Now, how did you all get connected? I got brought in. So, like, <laughs> they were they were doing, like, some awesome work, and they reached out to me, and they were like, you know, we have this we have this project that we've been working on, and we just want to talk to you more about it. And I'm immediately skept- skeptical because like, there's just so many projects and so many things going on, and I was at this point in my life where I was like, I only want to do something where I feel like it really is, like... It's going to be something like that's worth my time, worth time away from family, you know, et cetera. Yeah. And 
and then I talked to them. I went in like deeply skeptical. Like I, my wife, like is like say no to everything. Like like that's like what I'm going in with. But then right. just like the spirit that they were approaching the project, um, just like really made me interested. And I was like, I'm really gonna pray about this. And I think they told me that when somebody says I'm gonna pray about something, like that means they're gonna say no, <laughs> like <laughs> like a soft no. Like the Holy Spirit yeah. spoke to me that I just can't do it right now in this season. Um, but isn't it funny like catholics we can't just say well let me think about it and get back to yeah, you exactly. to say, we like, put God well let me discern the spirits <laughs> and test them and- <laughs> but i'll say like really like you know it it's something that it just the spirit by which they were coming through with it was something i don't feel like anyone else is doing right now in the church and this is a conversation that so many people are having in the in the yeah. secular culture it obviously dominates like a lot of our secular discourse it was happening a lot in the church it still does in, in many ways I mean, I feel like the approach that they had is something that was really unique and special. And on the back end of it, it really was like, it's something that stands the test of time. And it's not about a moment. It's really about telling the story of people and a a community and really an experience as well in a way that I think it's something that you can go back to. Like it's something that in 10 years after, you know, the the heat of a particular moment is, is maybe not there. You can go back and be like, this is like, I'm hearing like stories, stories of people who have passed away, stories of people of like that you would never would have heard. But like those individual yeah. interactions and then those churches and those communities is what really stitches like our fabric of what we think about when we talk about race at all. Like these stories that you find in this podcast. So I'm like, so blessed that like <laughs> something made me say yes when i like, was strongly saying no to many other things um and so yeah it's it's been a grace to be a part of it but i was invited in late so these guys really pioneered a lot of it it was it's fantastic nice that's awesome what 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 in your prayer do you feel like really made you say like pushed you towards the yes is it that this content is going to be like evergreen kind of thing like it's a it's something that people can it, so, like, a lot of our podcasts are in the moment, right? Or, you know, the, the thing about news podcasts and stuff like that is they just kind of exist in the moment. And they might be interesting from an archival perspective, but it's, like, one of those things where, and this is where I think the narrative kind of content serves it, is, like, you know, the, this, there's, like, one great story of, of humanity, and here's this, here's a part of the story that you might not know or might not be familiar with, and you can keep going back to it um uh, to me that's what that's what i love but uh i don't know what was it about you and your prayer like what did you actually discern it actually was them like it was the spirit like they were approaching it and it was kind of like it wasn't like to me it was just like and you hear this throughout the podcast it's just a spirit of inquiry like like let's Mm. discuss like this is just a journey for us and that's the spirit like they came with a conversation when i was talking to them they were like we don't just want to like bring you on as like just like a rubber stamp what we're doing. We want to have like a conversation about like about this. And we did have conversations as they'll attest, sometimes extended long discourses by myself monologuing as they'll be used to at this point. And but it was just like it really was like conversational and like at the same time I was working on a project with the McGrath Institute on race. And so I was like doing my own reading and like research at the same time. And I just felt like this was just like a rich place where it was like a dialogue and like, it was a discovery and a journey. And they had done so much on the ground, like work with people and in this community. And, you know, and I told them like, look, like I live in St. Louis area. I'm not from this community. Like, I don't want to be like this black guy coming in and being like, I know the black experience. Like, let me walk you through the black life of like, no, like, that's not what this is. Like this particular community has its own story. And I was like, also, I want to make sure that we're bringing in diverse voices in the black Catholic community. Cause it's not like a monolithic voice. There's a lot of different things and a lot of different experiences. And that comes throughout the whole podcast. So they were just had this spirit of inquiry. They were like, this guy's kind of weird, but like, let's kind of like engage with whatever you say. And, and that's how I felt. And I, I feel like you really have this awesome inquiry spirit throughout. So that's really what I think brought me into it. I didn't feel like they were like kind of coming with like rubber stamp or like an agenda. Like it really felt like let's have like a, let's do a podcast. That's really special. That's really talking about a unique experience. And yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't have my full knowledge going in about like, what is this going to actually be? And it's more, it's actually greater than I even um, believed it was going to be. So I learned a lot even going through it myself. So, Cool. Yeah, it was a very genuine, I remember the first conversation we had. And it was awkward going into it because I felt like, <laughs> you know, it was like that scene in Mary Poppins where they're writing the letter for the perfect nanny. You know, it's like we're, we're, we're trying to seek out, out the, perfect, the perfect person for this. And then we met Lewis and right away I thought, man, we got to get, get together get and hang out. It, it was funny because I, 
I feel like Lewis and I connected on LinkedIn and then I just started seeing some of the stuff that he was posting and I was like, man, he's got some, some good insights on stuff. And it was just like, cause I feel like there's a lot of, a lot of noise within this space, right? Like when you're talking about race and stuff like that, and there's stuff that, you know, sometimes parts of it resonate. And then sometimes you're like, man, this seems really like a, not a helpful take. Right. And I just feel like when I was seeing some of the stuff that he was saying, I was like, I, I got to talk to this guy, you know? And it was like, and it was one of those things where like, so we're telling a story really about Baltimore city, but it's, Mm. it's a story that's bigger than Baltimore city. And so it was one of those things where, uh, immediately reaching out to him, it almost seemed like, like, why are you reaching out to me? Like, I don't know anything about Baltimore City. Like, have you even been to Baltimore City, Lewis? No, I've never no, been. I right. so, I mean, I'm yeah. So I mean, well, you should come on Tuesday night. Yeah, I, I know. I got to fly in. Incredible speaker. Edward's not even going to be there. I'll be there. So I don't know what's going on. <laughs> no, but so it's it's it was one of those things where it was like uh, it, it was kind of awkward reaching out to him, but it was like I, I like the stuff that you're saying, and I want to. I just, I want to talk to you more about what we're doing. You know, that was kind of the, the approach that we were taking. Cause we just felt like as, you know, I'm a Hispanic guy from Houston, Jay's an Italian guy from New York, and we're kind of trying to fumble through and, and, and trying to understand an experience that's not your own. Right. Yeah. And then even talking to Lewis, it was great. Cause he was constantly pushing back and saying like, I'm like, I, I don't know every black person's experience. I don't know every black Catholic's experience. Like, so it, it was just constantly an an act, and that was what was nice about it of him uh, pushing us out to look at other people's perspective and to try to enter into their um, their perspective and experience a little bit more, which I, I think is is super valuable today, right? Because yeah. I think it's uh, that's a real challenging thing, right? To kind of be open to really listening to another person's experience, you know? I think it be- I think it becomes so hard especially in the context of you're on your home turf kind of thing. You know, it's like it's harder to listen to your neighbor's perspective about how different their life might be or whatever than it is like I like I think of traveling abroad because one of our recent episodes was on our experiences that we learned in Austria. And when people talk about traveling, the main the first thing they say is like, "Oh, I got such a broader perspective of other cultures and it's like it's funny that we do that when we leave our country but it's like we we shut that off in our own country right it's like yeah. nope everyone should have my experience you know we all eat at mcdonald's don't pretend like you don't billions of burgers sold we all have the same experience this is our life we all love frozen margaritas that's how we're doing it right and everyone hates hazy ipas true no but it, it is it is funny like and we don't have uh we don't give margin for uh for other people's stories and and experiences and stuff like that and if we do you know we're i I don't know like i i don't know if you guys do this but i constantly run this like editor in my head like well i wouldn't have said that well i wouldn't you know and and it's like yeah it's funny like that that capacity of evangelical listening Mm. to to other people's stories in order to make make room for the gospel and in other yeah in other experiences and to realize like the black american experience is not a monolithic thing as well as 100%. you know the yeah and uh, yeah it's just awesome so but gomer yeah, it's yeah. it's interesting i i love your thought on it cuz it the the other piece of the the question with experience is and i was talking to some seminarians the other night and to listen to another person's experience and to hear something that you don't like or that makes you uncomfortable you know it's I I feel like that's hard for us sometimes right now, like because we have a knee jerk reaction where we want to kind of uh, dismiss their experience or something like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it's funny. So I had to go to a lot of the Archdiocese and the Galveston Houston diversity training and they were so, some of them were effective because really because of small groups, right? Like you get in the small groups and all the youth ministers talk to each other and you know there's this one woman who you know thanks to the 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 randomness of genetics her skin was as white as mine but her family's 100 percent black right and they're all louisiana creole but uh, you know so her experience of being 
a black Catholic in Houston was no one knew she was black unless she told them. And so when she sat on the, they had a, an outreach to African-American, you know, the demographics in the neighborhood shifted. So the pastor was like, no, we need to do better at outreach. We need to do better at inclusion. We need to do better at all this stuff. And she worked. She was the full-time staff member. So she put, she was put on this committee and all the people in the community that they had on this committee was like, let's say 12 people. They were all like, well, you're not black enough. Mm. And her like just bawling her eyes out, telling us the story of like, you know, I'm not a white person, but everyone thinks I am. I, and then all the black people, none of them want to own me. And so she lives in this like bizarre no man's land, even though she's probably one of the most influential Catholic professionals in our diocese as a, as a parish worker, she's been around for a long time. She's, you know, everyone knows her in the diocese. And so doing those, those kind of trainings and stuff, that was so powerful. But then when we actually sat through some of the trainings it, that, that, that like, I just got so pissed off. We're like it was talking so at you like trainings, like where they're like, yeah. Oh. Well, like, so for instance, this is what happened. So it's like, how many of y'all have, you know, they put us in groups according to our ethnicity. And it was, Number one, it remind I was a big Dave Chappelle, Chappelle show fan, and it reminded me of the episode of the Racial Draft, where we're all classic, in these like distinct episode. categories, right? And so I kept calling myself the ambassador of white people. No one thought that was funny. Except <laughs> I me. wish I would have been in this room. See, that's yeah. why we need to be. I need to come to the meeting on Tuesday. I, clearly, this is like <laughs> <laughs> clearly this is it. Clearly, at one point, we had to put we had to put playing cards on our forehead. That and then we had to treat each other accordingly, so that was fun. And I all I was thinking of was the diversity. I was gonna say of, that's that's of, the office, of nice the to office. right out of it. Yeah, no, no, it was every 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 stereotype you could think of. We were doing it. So, but the funny thing was, so it was taught by uh, let me just say a, a non-white person. And when the white people who were the majority of people there were put into a category, we were put in a category called white. And you had to talk about, but other people were put into categories like by their country and different. So like the, we have Mexico, we have uh, Colombians, you know, whatever. And so he said, okay, so for the, and we had to answer questions like, what was it like when your people came to this country? What was their experience? So we had an Irish guy, a Polish guy, a German guy, an English guy. And the English guy was like, well, my, my people didn't have any problems coming in here. And How then many the, great the jokes Polish... start that way too, right? Yeah, and I got a Polish mm. guy and an English guy immigrate to the United Very States. No, uh... <laughs> oh, that's awesome! But so the so we had to answer these questions, and the 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 guys he's trying to get answered, he's like, "How come you guys didn't answer this?" We're like, "Well, because," and he goes, "Oh crap! I just made you all white people, didn't I?" And it was the mo- like the whole thing was like, are you reading your own materials, man? Like this is very, I'm very uncomfortable right now. <laughs> I don't know how to have this conversation going further. Yeah. So, well, that's anywho, too, so like, yeah. The- in uh, sorry to cut you off, but like no, Wall Street good. Journal had an article, and I think there's been similar articles in the Times on this. It's just like uh, diversity trainings are not effective. Like there's a uh, there's a Wall Street Journal article like that was like what? diversity trainings, like the these big corporate diversity trainers hired like. The new, like, they hired diversity trainers to like, like, process the diversity training. Like, it was like the, it was like the double, like, <laughs> double layer, and they changed it to belonging. And I say this as someone like I believe one hundred percent believe what you're saying. It's like relationship that really helps people to understand, like, oh, this is another person's experience. But I think yeah. these like seminar style approaches are not relational. They seem right. like it's you're talking down to people, and I think that what people like. I, I talked about this in other contexts, but like when you look at the policies that we even talk about in um, in the podcast or that you look at historically, all of them were – a lot of them, the problem with them and the core heart of what they were attempting to do is divide people, is to stop relationship. Like if like if yeah. you want to – if you're going into this section, you have to sit here or separate it from this other group. If you want to get a drink of water, you have to go to this particular place, not this place. Like it's, it's to keep people apart and not have relationship. Yeah. And that healing like really comes when relationship can actually happen. Like that's what the core part of what discrimination and segregation was trying to do was like no relationship, right? Like we cannot have that. And so it's like, I think that is the spirit. Like if we look at the harm done, that's the spirit we should do to repair it. Like, okay. So instead of like furthering the sense of of our divisiveness and our dividedness, let's further our togetherness through relationship, through understanding someone else's experience in small group settings and things like that. 
I think you hear overwhelmingly when people can actually just hear from people about what what's going on. They're like, wow, like that's that's amazing. That's that's an encounter. Um, Pope Francis talks about this idea, and I think it's Evangelii Gaudium, where he says like reality is more important than ideas. And to me, like that's really I like I found that to be extremely striking because when you hear somebody's like reality, like if you hear the story of what yeah. people went through when they were like, hey, like I went to my church and. And this, we talk about this in the podcast as an example, like I went to my church and they told me and my family, we can't, we have to sit in the far back. Like, and like, that was the experience that people had. And, and to hear somebody just tell it, it's not like an idea or an ideology. It's like, this was my experience. Like my priest literally said, Hey, like you all should really just sit here. Like you all really don't need to sit in the front and like trying to convince them that it's like good for them or like, and and you hear that and you're like, this is kind of what, you know, what'd be great. (laughs) You know, what'd be really super right now. (laughs) So like that, but just being able to encounter those things. And I think nobody disagrees with that. Like, I've never encountered someone who's like, I don't want to hear, like, what really happened. Like, I don't want to hear these real stories. And so I feel like it's it's when you get into these seminar-style spaces that has caused, like, some backlash against these things. So that people feel like I'm being talked down to. And, and actually, when they did, like, studies on, like, people's ad- racial attitudes in the workplace, it actually exacerbated feelings of, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. so that's what I'm saying. it's not effective. It's not doing what we want. It's not achieving the goal of making people feel included or like they belong. Right. Which is like the whole point, I I guess there was a, there was an article written by a a trans person who was like the diversity equity and inclusion seminar was the worst day of my life because, you know, I told people that this person, no one knew that they were trans. Uh, It was a woman transitioned to, to present like a man and no one even knew, no one even knew. It's just, (laughs) they had them say, the worst thought they ever had about trans people to go and tell them that person so that they can get this out in the open. And she said, so for now, every single day, these people come to my desk and they're like, I used to think you're all sexual perverts. I'm sorry. I used to think you all just wanted to rape children. I'm sorry. And it's like, this is happening every day now since the meeting. They come to my desk and they tell me what they think. I just want to do my job. Right? So I, anytime, anytime there is a corporate seminar regardless of what it is everyone should just be sad and a little angry going into it <laughs> going into it it's never going to be good but yeah like what you said like if if relation if being divisive i mean like just the very name of satan right mm. diablo right is the one who separates and you think about that the symbol on is that which unites right and that's the name the original name of the creed in greek and it's so amazing how the satan opposes these things and they get manifested. And you can understand, like, I mean, I, I can't imagine what it must be like being a black Catholic and you go to a Catholic event and you're the only black person in the entire arena, let alone room yeah. and all that stuff. And so many people talk about it. They're like, oh, man, you never feel more alone than when you're the only one in a crowd, right? Yeah. And you have that experience. But then it's, yeah, the it, it's the connections that we make within those contexts that literally change people's lives. And the devil is, I just think, trying to keep us separate. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I was doing some of the interviews, and it was predominantly the more progressive whites that I was interviewing. There was this this kind of idea that, well, you don't live in the city, so you must be a racist. And I was like, well, you know, talk to my neighbor Yolanda. You know, because I live in a stick-and-brick subdivision. But our neighborhood's very diverse. And what I'm finding odd about all of this is, like my children, for example— they get along better. There's two Muslim girls that live around the corner from us. They get along better with them than they do the people that look like us and act like us. There's more similarities there. It's almost like, you know, we share, we don't share the same faith, but we share a faith. Um, you know, we're both comfortable in our own skin, who we are. We're not, we're comfortable sharing that with one another. We share the same values to some degree. Although, like, I don't, well, I don't get into that, but. <laughs> Let's talk about religion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, and they're, they're legit. I mean, she wears the head covering. You know, they're, they're from yeah. uh, Lebanon. So it's, it's just interesting, too, especially in this time where we're divided over issues like immigration, all these different things. We're divided over everything. Right? Divided yeah. over everything. But when it comes down to it on this relational level, finding that you have more in common with somebody that doesn't look like you or come from the same place because you share these other values. Yep. It it really 
this is where I start departing from politics and looking at things more in lines. Okay, like, like yeah. let's think with the church. Like, what, is, what does the church say about this? You know, and that's like, you know? The, I think that's one of the big things is like, when it, this whole conversation on race and how we heal race has become solely a policy debate. And that is like, that has been what I feel like has deteriorated. And like I say all the time, policy obviously was part of the problem in the first place. So we, policy, that conversation should happen. That debate should happen. Um, and people can disagree on policy and on what could be good policy. But this is not fundamentally a policy issue at this point. Fundamentally, it's a relationship issue. And it's helping yeah. people to actually feel like they can share across difference. And, you know, I was just thinking about this, you know, in in terms of like workplaces and, and things like that. It's, I feel like the, the, the spirit, like there's, there is, even though we are having the conversation in, in a broad culture, I feel like it's harder than ever for people to, even in small group settings, kind of come together on, on racial topics and just have these conversations because it has this tone of politics. Like whatever you're saying is being read through the lens of like, how does this connect to your political agenda? Or, and, and I feel like we're not able to have these authentic conversations about like, hey, like, you know, even you're talking about Dave Chappelle joking about like racial life. And that was like, you know, everyone's like, oh, yeah, everyone can just joke about the show. Like you think about the, the black KKK member. If that came out today, I don't even know what. Like, I don't even know what. I mean, Dave Chappelle could do it. But, like, just an up-and-coming comedian. Like, we can't even yeah. have these types of, like, jokes together as, like, a community and, like, joke about each other. And, like, because that's really what you see yeah. as a friend. If you are a friend with someone, you can joke about them. And they, like, take it in the spirit of, like, oh, and then they joke about you. Like, growing up, I had friends of different backgrounds. One of my closest friends was Muslim from Jordan. friend that was, um, you know, from the United States, identified as white American. And we used to joke with each other all the time. Like we have recordings because we used to have like a hip hop group in high school. They can never see the light of day because the because the racist stuff we were saying as a joke. But like I would say, like we're joking. And I say yeah. that not because like saying racist racist things is, is funny. It's not funny. But it was in a spirit of friendship. And where like if actually something did happen that really hurt our feelings, we were actually able to repair that. Like we were able to talk about that, and it was authentic. And it was human and it was not this ideology. It was about real encounter and understanding people's experiences. And because of that, I grew to understand Islam. And now I like have a great respect, you know, for the, for the Islamic faith, for the history and tradition of many Middle Eastern countries, because I was able to encounter someone whose family was from that experience and really understand them as people. And same thing with, you know, all a host of different people. And so I think the relation, just like what you were saying, Jay, I think the relationship and just like friendship and all those things really is the answer. It's the solution. And it's not a clean policy. It's not slick. It's not like a white paper, but like, it is like, that's the solution. It's friendship. It's really authentic friendship in society. Yeah. Spoiler alert too. That's well, that's, that's what Ark and Dove is all about. Really? Yeah. <laughs> nice. Edward, what if, what if your role in the institution of the Baltimore archdiocese, you issued a white paper requiring everyone to be friends? <laughs> What if you did that? <laughs> I think we just solved the problem from both angles. I'll see if the archbishop, right. but that should probably be his next uh, his next pastoral <laughs> letter. Just be be friends, my dear young people. Be <laughs> friends, peace. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it is so hard because okay. So uh, the thing that you said, like when you're friends, you can joke about a lot of things. As friends, I, I you know, especially as men, m my kids are trying to get used to this. I don't think they understand it because, you know, when you've got little boys, right, they're very sensitive. My boys are very sensitive. They're like me when I was a kid. I was the most sensitive. I was ready to cry at the drop of a hat. But um, they don't understand, like, male joking and teasing yet, right? And I tell them, I was like, we're really close friends with the guy, this family, the Joneses. And I was like, listen, when I'm around Mr. Brian, I used to work with him. When I'm around Mr. Brian, I make fun of him all day. I make fun of his stupid haircut. I make fun of the fact that he hasn't finished his doctoral dissertation. I, mean, like, I make fun of him <laughs> all the time. <laughs> yeah, I know. That, and that they're hurts like, why that hurts yeah, that, that's, that's, you, that's <laughs> ABD. Oh, my goodness. No, it's fine. You like putting uh, doc candidate on all of your uh, bios when you give a doc. It's fine. But, like, that's, that's the stuff that, like, the things that are the most apparent because of the relationship is the stuff that is the best to make fun of. Mm. Right. Like that's the stuff. But when you don't have that on the outside, like my kids on the outside looking in, it's like, they're so mean or they, you know, whatever. And it's like, no, no, this is actually how we love each other. Right. Men show their affection for one another because we can't actually show affection for one another because that's weird. But we do it by mocking and humiliating each other. 
And in but but then once it goes too far, it's like oh crap. Yeah. All right, pull it back. And, that, it and back. that I think is like that speaks to like what it actually like because the real relationship you can tell. Okay, like this we just like had like a situation like, <laughs> and that did happen. Yeah. Like and like that's the thing you were able to like really. That's when you can see when someone really cares for you. Like when they actually see that you're hurt by this. Yeah. And and I think we've lost we've just lost that. Like we've we've lost the ability to kind of even joke because it's so it's a sense of like. We're, we've lost that foundation of friendship, like social friendship, to the yeah. point where now it's like people don't want to joke because they don't have that underlying layer of like, hey, we can repair this. Like, I can understand, like, hey, you said something that was wrong and like, you know, that hurt my feelings. And like, the person can be like, all right. But now it's like, I don't even want to, like, we don't have the underlying foundation that allows for that repair to occur anymore. And I think yeah, that's it, why it's it, gotten it, so bad. It, it requires an interpersonal relationship to yeah. do that, too. Because when you make a, a comment on social media, yeah, exactly. you, can't, yeah. you can't really. You can't make the eye contact. You're not breathing the same air as, as the person in the room. You're not. You're yeah. not getting a sense for what that. You, you're not getting the empathetic response that you need. And you know, again, today it's always a probing. Anything you say, there's always a probing, a political probing to see where your ideology is, where, yeah. where you stand. Doesn't matter what you say or what you do. Like if I say blue hair, that immediately elicits a, a political response. If I say mask, if I say vaccine, if I, any 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 of these words, right? But if I have a conversation with a person. It gets a, a, beyond these bumper sticker statements, whether it's about race, it's about politics, whatever. You start to get to know a person on a, on a personal level. You, again, like Lewis said, you, you understand their experience in life. It's a whole different experience. And this is what we're, we're lacking today, as, obviously. Um, well, it, it's, it, it's interesting because I've had conversations with my friends about like, the question of um, – like systemic racism or something like that will come up, right? And I'll ask my friend about it or something. And this is a real conversation with a, a good friend of ours. And he's like, ah, I don't, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, like more African-American men are incarcerated, right? At a higher rate. Lewis could probably give us the rate. He's like, he's like awesome with like the statistics and the numbers. He's like, that's wrong. That's, that's a wrong statistic. But, I said that. I, I only said like one time. <laughs> Jay, what Jay said, and it's like in the podcast. Now it's immortalized in the podcast as well. Like I've, Jay was I, wrong. I, in we the just wanted to keep that because yeah. I, I thought it was important to keep again, like, let's not edit that. Let me say my let me run my mouth because I tend to speak before I think, which is why I'm trying to be real careful here today. <laughs> so let, let me run oh, my no, mouth. No, and no, then no. You just, you correct you me. This on brand for Kendrick. <laughs> yeah. Well, but but then the idea is just like correct, like like yeah. prove me wrong, and and he did, and it, and it was great because it just opened up the door for another conversation. But you know, and I, and I learned something. But 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 I guess that when I mentioned it to my buddy about more African American men being incarcerated, right? And he's like, well, but that's because of X, Y, or Z. And it's like, well, okay, but wouldn't we say that that's still a problem, right? I mean, that that African Americans are incarcerated at a higher rate, right, than other folks in the country. And it's it's like there's an immediate kind of like, well, you're just trying to push me into like like a policy position that I don't want to hold. And, and I'm like, no, 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 like these are people that are incarcerated at, at a higher rate and that seems like it's a it's a bad thing right so i i guess that's that that's where i feel like it's hard because the the policy lens always kind of comes up or the political lens as opposed yeah. to saying like these are our our brothers and sisters and we should we should care right and shouldn't just kind of immediately have the knee-jerk reaction of like oh they're trying to push me into a policy position that i don't really yeah. want to hold or something i don't know i don't know if yeah. that makes sense but it, the funny thing is and again i think i said this to edward like if there was going to be an award for the most transformed after doing this project it's, it's probably me edward and i used to go back and forth with this stuff all the time and when we decided to do this thing on <clears throat> on race in the black catholic church over the past five years doing all these interviews and everything, I mean, I, my position has changed on a lot of this stuff. And it's funny because, you know, his wife and I thinks he's woke now. I tend to run in more conservative circles. So, I, yeah. I mean, I experienced this when I came back into the Catholic Church, only evangelical friends. And I was like, I got to get your mind right again, you know? Yeah. About Jesus. It's like, well, I <laughs> believe in Jesus. I, you know, I came back to his church. Well, now it's the same thing with this. It's like, what are you doing, Jay? What do you mean, what am I doing? Like, let's have a conversation about it. And why is this political? Mm -hmm. You know, like, let's think with the church. Yeah, to me, uh, so I was just interviewing 
Dr. Abigail Favalli up at the oh, yeah, yeah. Institute. I love her. Love her. She's so amazing. But uh, those were EKSB. Whoopsie. I probably shouldn't name drop that too many times on the show. But uh, no, we were talking and we were talking a little bit about the politics in the English language by George Orwell. And this is a thing that I th- – here, here adds the complexity. Okay. So you, we talked about a little bit about – or you mentioned George Floyd in the you know, impetus for the conversations and whatnot. So politics of the English language, right? Even before you talk about these things, it's was it was it a protest or a riot? Because the, you know, not not all, right? But they, you know, you know, you watch Atlanta burning on the evening news and listen to Killer Mike being like, "Stop this!" You know, with the mayor of Atlanta. But you have all this stuff wherein even the language that we use is custom tailored to divide, mm-hmm. right? So, like, like words like systemic racism. Even the, the funny thing is when we talk about these things, the, even the words that are used as jargon, like that, that have technical meaning, are still interpreted differently mm-hmm. from people across the board. And, you know, you got that Socratic principle of definitions matter. And you you keep going back to this stuff or I keep going and I keep seeing the same. Like, I feel like there is massive underlying issues that we don't talk about until there's a shooting or you know uh, a a demonstration that turns into a riot and buildings are until buildings are burning and hair is on fire no one talks about anything yeah and then and then when people do talk about stuff that you know in in my experience it's the liberals who who are on the the like extreme woke side of things who I mean you know, want to dismantle the family because they believe it's an oppressive patriarchal institution and things like that, and you're like, well, I'm not going to talk to you anymore because you're you are literally a crazy Marxist who wants to undercut the family, and that's a a bridge to nowhere for me. Like, so I think a lot of it is like weaponized terms and language on both sides that that politics and politicians have shaped and pundits in the media and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank God I don't watch the news. We we shape them mm-hmm. so that these conversations are hard to have. Well, and that's the, right? it's like the, the, the no. I was going to say. I mean, that's and that's the the importance and the beauty of the church, right? I mean, because we have language yeah. like structures of sin, right? Which which has has meaning. We know what those things mean. But I think when we use the politically charged language, I think it it automatically elicits it it elicits a response. And the reality is, I mean, in many ways, there's all the language, as you're pointing out, has baggage, right? All the language has yep. baggage. Like the statement, like the Bla- Black Lives Matter, right? Yeah, yeah. Like th- this was this was a big area of contention and conversation between yeah. Edward and I and our little circle. And you know, I'm at a point where I I can I can say Black Lives Matter, and I might not support the organization because of some of the things they stand for. But I mean, that was a huge step for me to get to even say that. But like now, <laughs> yeah. it's like, how do you make that association without? Like, how do you say the statement about making the association? It's just like saying we all want America to be a great place. Why can't you say make America great again? Well, <laughs> you know, there's a stigma attached with that with that statement. But I could sit here and I could say Black Lives Matter, and I, you know, again, I, look, I, I'm not going to vote anyway this time. But it, it doesn't. It, it's not a political statement. You're not voting for Taylor Marshall. I find that you know, <laughs> for, for the king of the of America. I, I think like. <laughs> <laughs> I 100% agree. And like, I mean, even like, was George Ford murdered, killed? Did he die? Did he over, like all, like, yeah. it, it's like, and, and this is the thing for me with reality is more important than ideas. I don't, and this, like, you know, I'm not, I told uh, Edward this and Jay, I was like, I don't represent all black Catholic views, and which is why I was like, <laughs> I was like, we need to have a lot of voices here because I have a lot of friends in the black Catholic community who have totally divergent views some of whom are on the podcast and i work with on different things connected to race like have that totally disagree with each other and all the different because to me it's like i care i know that people have the desire no matter what your so your view is on political or social policy realities like this is not we're not a partisan like i'm not we're not working together on a policy really our goal is to help to bring about greater unity within the church for different groups and just a sense of like hey like if you believe, like, for example, on systemic racism, we have a friend, I have a friend who's on the podcast, and Nathan, I've talked to him about systemic racism. We debated about systemic racism. And, like, the whole thing is, it's like, it's fine to disagree on, hey, is, like, on all these different particular policy matters. Like, that is okay. Like, you're not a racist if you don't believe that systemic racism is real. That's hard for people to hear. But that doesn't make somebody a racist. And I think we just have to be honest about that and say people can look at social realities with goodwill 
with not with a lack of prejudice and come to different yeah. political and social topics and have divergent views. And that is the Catholic view of it. Now, obviously, you can't yeah. hold a view of. I believe this person is less than me. That would be a sin, right? Obviously. <laughs> but the whole thing is like we've equated, okay, I, I view people as less than me with particular policy ideas. I believe people have to form their own opinions. They have to be able to do the research. They have to go deep themselves, come to their opinion. And I think it's our role. And I think Pope Francis even talks about this a lot. Like um, you have to be able to hear people that disagree with you. That's a part of our role as Catholics to build a civilization of love. That means that you really care about someone. You want to hear them out. You bear along with them, even if you disagree. That's how we, that's the only way we'll get to where we want to go. Like believing that, okay, the only way we're going to get to a peaceful society, a just society is if everyone agrees with everything I say, like if if that is, if that is going to be like your end game, we're not going to get there. Like it's never going to happen. And you have to just be comfortable with saying like, Hey, like, we don't agree on this. That's fine. Like, let me hear why. Like, let me learn. Like, maybe I'm wrong. Like, like, <laughs> wow. Like, that's great. Like, yes, you can be wrong. And if you, if you're open to hearing other people, you can get new, more nuanced views, like everything like that. So I just feel like it's sad because in the church, I feel like this same thing has happened where it's like people get their own audience of like, okay, th- like they know what to expect from this person and they mm-hmm. kind of just go to them for like kind of their almost like their like little hit of like self-justification. Like, okay, I'm listening to this guy. He's going to tell me like, I'm super Orthodox and like, like also, and, or like, I'm going to listen to this person and like they're crit- critiquing the church and like the church is so racist. And all like, it's like, how about we listen to someone who disagrees with you and understand why they believe that? Like, mm-hmm. I, there's St. Jose Maria has a quote where he says like, love consists in understanding. That's a paraphrase, but love consists in understanding the other. And like, that's the thing. It's like, we lost this idea of like, if we want a civilization of love where we all love each other, doesn't mean we all agree on the definition of systemic racism. Maybe it means that we just understand each other way, way better. Like maybe it just means like we continue yeah. to understand why we disagree on this, but we still love each other. Wow. Like, like that, like, but I think that's very yeah. difficult for people in the church even to hold anymore because it comes off as like a conservative opinion. Like, Oh, you don't want everyone to believe in systemic racism. No, it's just the fact that people won't, yeah. everyone won't agree. Like everyone's not. Yeah. Agree. It's funny. When you said that, when you said that, like, maybe we don't all agree on the, whether or not systemic racism is real or whatever. I was like, oh, my gosh, that would shut out so many people from the conversation because it's like, no, if you don't believe this, then you're dead to me kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, or believe it the way I the believe The way, yeah, it. exactly. That, you know, one of the biggest things, you know, I, okay, I, I say this all the time when I'm in prison which is what this is he, he does prison ministry i was like i don't have the background yeah. necessary to understand what when i do prison ministry at a maximum security texas prison an hour from my house when i'm bartering for cigarettes yeah and, yeah that's a good point i probably should elaborate that it's i miss i miss being able to put a sticky note on my office door saying gone to jail back in an hour or something like that but you know when when i always make the comment when whenever we're leading like a like a large group thing, the most ethnically diverse church group I've ever been a part of is in prison, and it's funny because because of the legitimacy of the Colby Prison Ministries retreat ministries that that I was a part of and the follow up weekly sessions that we would do, and then we would do these things in between. So you could do the retreats every six months. We couldn't do it any more often than that. And so in the middle, we would do this thing called Glorify. And most Protestants in the in the um, prison think Catholics are are pagan, heathen, you know, whatever. And so my job at Glorify was to have praise and worship music, which would bring in a band. Usually, they, the the praise band from the Protestant group and the Catholic group would play together, and an outside group. and And then I would give two talks, kind of like a Protestant Sunday sermon, on the gospel. And it was just to get them to experience that Catholics believe in the gospel, right? So basic basic ecumenism type stuff and i I point out to people all the time like i've never been in a more diverse you know church than when i'm in prison because it's it's literally a third a third a third and with a rounding error for asians it's a third a third a third there (laughs) and and it's amazing for me because like the no no one thinks it's weird Right, no one think. Well, now we're going to do the Spanish mass, and that's where all the Hispanics go. And now we're going. It's like, nope, we're all here. We're all in this one place. We're all trying to figure out how to be devout Catholics, because you know the the weekly things are mostly Catholic things. But devout Catholics or devout Christians in the midst of one another, in the midst of this prison, because I don't know if you know this, but prisons are really racist. 
Mm. And they're institutionally so. You want to talk about systemic racism, right? So if you want to live, like you might be the most, you know, woke person on the face of the earth. You go to jail. All you do is hang out with your own race. Mm. Because if you step out, you're done, right? And especially in the Ferguson unit, which is a gang, a lot of gang members, a lot of violent offenders, young men. And so it is, it is amazing. Like you survive because you have identified with your race unless you're a Christian or unless you're religious. I should put it that way. Unless you're religious. The religious are the only places where blacks, whites, and Hispanics actually coexist. It's the only group. It's the only place you find it. So the, the Catholic group meets at the same time as the Orthodox Jewish group at the same time as the Buddhist group. So it's really funny. So I'm like talking about the New Testament and in the background they're reading a Jewish prayer book and then over on the side. They're doing these standing standing moves and someone striking a gong repeatedly. It's just it's, it's wild and it's a very small thing. It's a very small building, but you do you the do most what you of can. this group is not the the Aryan the Aryan race group. So you know what's funny about that? You know what's funny about that? So the Aryans are all obviously all white guys, but they're almost all to a fault like North like Scandinavian type huh. right they all have this viking death cult mentality and to pull them out of of their hate group into the church right because that's what they have to do is they have to love black people which is the hardest thing for them to do right so the, my very first retreat guy stands up and he's like many of you know me so there's a table of nothing but black guys right in front and they're all gang members right they're all gang members in, in the whole group, everyone is. You don't live unless you're in a gang. The neighborhoods that they, I used to be, oh, gang members. Blah, blah, blah. But like, if I grew up in their neighborhood, I'd be in a gang. Do you know why? Because you die or you get beat up every day or, you know, whatever, if you're not in a gang. Okay. So I totally understand that uh, because I listen to stories instead of just slapping a label on people. So white guy gets up and he's like, blah, blah, blah. You know, some of you know me. I went to the Protestant thing two years ago or 18 months ago, then I came to this Colby thing and I realized, you know, basically long story short, he was an Aryan brotherhood converted to, uh, he was baptized Catholic, never raised in the faith. He said, I used to think I hated blacks and, uh, and Mexicans. Of course for him, uh, all, all Latinos everywhere were Mexicans. And he, goes, he goes, blacks and Mexicans. He goes, I didn't hate blacks and Mexicans. I hated my dad. My dad abandoned me when I was six years old. I remember holding onto his leg when he kicked me off and then he kicked me into the house about 10 feet and he got into his car and drove away, and I never saw him again. He said, I was filled with hate and anger and hurt my whole life. And he said, and I turned it to to blacks especially and, and, to, and to Mexicans. And he goes, so if I participated in a riot where I hurt any of you, I'm sorry. Because six months ago, I realized I didn't hate you. I hated my dad, and I forgave him in the name of Christ Jesus. And he said, and I'm looking at some of y'all, if I have hurt any of you, in the name of Christ Jesus, I am sorry. Please forgive me. And there's a guy that stood up right in front. I always I get a little choked up whenever I hear it. The whole place is dead silent because he just said, I mean, this is the first talk of the first hour at like 7 o'clock in the morning. Guy who was in, he was the, uh, the warlord of, we'll say, one of two famous black inner city gangs. I have to keep some of this stuff, you know, uh, as anonymous sure, yeah, yeah. as I can. Gets up, walks right up to him, and then hugs him. The whole place breaks out in applause, and it changed the whole tone for the rest of the thing. Now, the the black guys and the white guys and the Hispanics all sat with each other at different tables. It, it like In that one instant, wow. the racial divide that was very real every day of their lives immediately disappeared for the 33 guys that were on the retreat. Immediately and completely disappeared. Right. And so you find that when you that so going back to the original thing that pulling white guys out of a gang into Christ means they have to reconcile their whiteness. Right. Because that's their white their white supremacists. Right. They are explicit white supremacists. But to pull someone in the Crips or the Bloods or the Salidos or the Latin Kings to pull them out of their gang life into Christianity and if any Latin kings out there, I know what I just said was controversial because you are a denomination, apparently. But the, there's this there's this massive, it, like, it stays religious. It's not a race thing. 
Right? It's not like, oh, man, I got to go hang out with the white people. Mm. But for the white supremacist people, it's like, oh, now, because that, that's what their gang is. Mm. You know, it's uh, Latin Kings somewhat has that, that uh, you know, obviously La Raza kind of attitude. But, like, it's a different, it's funny because it, it, it's a different conversion mm. path. So you have this, yeah, like, they have to deal with race, the white guys do, because it's like, I never hung out with them. And I didn't have to because we're the majority everywhere. Now I have to reconcile calling that man my brother. Like that's huge. It that's, is huge. It's, it's chills to hear it's that story. Right? Yeah, it's yeah. I mean. right? It's crazy. It's crazy. And I'll tell you what, like to see to witness conversions in prisons is I, I now I turned into a prison podcast, but to witness <laughs> conversion in prison. I feel so bad. I feel people bad for people who aren't in exorcism ministry, aren't in prison ministry. Because so many people have never seen the hand of God work instantaneously. And I have, mm. and I'm like, well, I will never doubt the faith anymore. That's that's just yeah. that's tremendous. So diversity. No, but I, I think I, yeah. I mean, the 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 cost of discipleship, right? I mean, the uh, yeah. what you're talking about. I mean, just as a as a Christian, as a Catholic, right? We don't take those things as seriously as we should, right? I mean, that reality yeah. is like we certainly haven't had. No, I mean, it's it's just yeah. I just one of my friends always talks about the as Catholics, like we're called to live differently. You know, and I mean, that's a, I mean, kind of a generic statement or what have you, but, but these folks actually live differently. Yeah. And And their lives depend on it. Their lives depend on it. You know, if you have a conversion in prison and you, and and you leave the gang because you found Jesus, they'll let you, they won't, uh, you you ever heard of the expression blood in, blood out? You ever heard that? Right. So they jump you to get in the gang. I've seen the movie. They jump you to get out of the gang. Okay. Good deal. Good deal. (laughs) Blood in, blood out. Yeah, but it, they'll jump you to get out of the gang, but usually they beat you to death, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the turn of it. But they'll let you out if you're a Christian. But then if you do anything unchristian, then they say, oh, you're just trying to get out of being affiliated. And so they'll kill you in the prison that I work at. Hmm. Right, I, love that, been, I love that moral. I always, I'm always i always fascinated when people like have these moral compasses that are yeah. just out isn't there. It, isn't it interesting? So it's if you smoke cigarettes and you call yourself a Christian, that's a sign that you are – that you're not uh one guy was he he's he's same-sex attracted was a part of the there's a whole group called the homosexuals that's what they call themselves and he left that in order to become a christian but obviously you know he still has these desires and so he like feels stuck between two worlds and people the gang members will remind him like if you hang out here we'll kill you because you said you're a christian and you're no longer part of the gang we'll kill you if you hang out so if you do these things wrong. So last thing I just want to say, yeah, we, we have it in my parish, at my old parish, where we had a Nigerian man who converted from Islam into Catholicism. Oh, wow. And we couldn't publish his name. We had to publish everything pseudonymously, you know, kept, you know, whatever. Sometimes we like to put the names in the bulletin and stuff. And his family, he, he has uncles that are part of Boko Haram. Mm, wow. And they said, if, if he was like, go to America, go make your fortune, go do all this stuff. If you marry a Christian or become a Christian, we'll kill you. Never come home. If you do that. And he last time he said he was home was 10 years ago or whatever. And I think his family, his parents flew out and they were like, just a reminder, you are not allowed to become a Christian. And he became Catholic. And he said, if they ever find out, you know, I'll die. I'll die. Like they will come here and they will kill me. Wow. And so you have this notion of like, okay, so this is, this is real life for people. And as Catholics, you know, we get fussy and don't go to mass when there's not enough parking. Like, and yeah, it's real life for people. So, mm. anywho, this is just a random uh, walk down uh, crazy killer lane, but uh, nice late, lighthearted conversation. Good. Yeah, yeah. So, Ark and Dove. You know, it's funny. I started introducing it and the, about the charismatic thing, but w- w- let's talk about where the title comes from. Yeah. So, does someone else want to? I mean, I can't. Isn't it funny? It's like, oh, there's three of us that can answer that question. <laughs> well, it's 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 just not. I mean, it's we can make the story more glamorous than it is, but I mean, everyone you can do. The, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the origin. Yeah, I mean, so it's the companion. So I'm from Texas, so I don't know Maryland history, but I'm learning Maryland history. And the the Ark and the Dove are the companion ships that brought the first settlers over to Maryland, Catholic settlers over to Maryland back in uh, 1634, and so. On those ships was Matthias de Souza, who was uh, an African American man, an indentured servant, who then 
later became a, a, a prominent statesman and elected to the Maryland Assembly as well. So, and then, so it's kind of the story of the Catholic Church coming to the state of Maryland, and with this, this man who started out as an indentured servant and then kind of came to, was freed and came to prominence. And the idea of the Ark and the Dove, I mean, it's just a, for us also, when we heard the Ark and the Dove, when we kind of, it seemed to resonate with what we came to understand more about the Black Catholic experience, which is a a story of resilience in the face of adversity, a story of of hope in the face of adversity, and so that that's kind of why we why we decided upon it. Yeah. Originally, you know, years ago, we were running through Notre Dame. What well, was an OSV challenge? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So the name we had. The tentative name was St. Bernardine's because a lot of the interviews were from parishioners of this parish, St. Bernardine's, and then the mm. story just kept expanding and expanding and expanding. And um, it just it just didn't sit right to call the whole entire podcast St. Bernardine's and then arcing it up just seemed like it was a more fitting name nice. as, as we learn more about Maryland history. So, again, Love it's not it. that glamorous of a story. No, it's I mean, it's fascinating when you think about it's not just from indentured servant right to the to the statesman like that's incredible it's like gladiator (laughs) (laughs) right right? he was a general who became a slave a slave who defied an emperor right no it is accurate okay so we got about five minutes here lewis i know you got to go to a meeting that you generously rescheduled yeah uh, how do you want to how do you want to close out this this time for the old catching foxes audience what do you want them uh I don't know if you want to do a roundtable or whatnot, but kind of going forth from here, obviously we want people to head over to <laughs> Ark and Dove, check out the podcast. Who, who came, wh- who's Balth- Balthazar Media? Was that just for Luke? Was that just to make Luke happy because he's obsessed with Hunzerism and Balthazar? Uh, so, I mean, it's it's Jay and I. I mean, that's – so Bal- Balthazar <laughs> Media is a, is a nonprofit that we created really to – oh, you, you do have a Balthazar place. section up there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, those look a little skinny to be the theodrama, though. I don't, I don't, you know what? I have it on, yeah, no, I don't have it on Kindle. That's just the epilogue. Yeah, I don't have that. Don't judge me. Okay, I guess not. I thought you were a Balthazar guy, too, but that's okay. Do you see see the title of this studio? Do you see what it's called? Battlestar, Balthazar, and Booze Studio. (laughs) And then you have a bunch of, like, numbers and stuff. I thought that was going to be the title of the episode. (laughs) uh no the title of the episode yeah what do you think it should be called what do do we got here it has to be something ironic and funny spiritual something in all caps to attract attention something controversial we talk about gomer talks about racism and the last thing gomer is racist (laughs) all caps blow your mind yeah. Can we call it Gomer is race ish? <laughs> I like that. That's a, good, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I made a I made a uh, uh, a joke. I was in Louisiana and I had the audience was it was at a Sumville Youth Conference and it was like bring your chaperones and Gomer's going to give a talk to the young adult chaperones and it was you know almost like you know fifty fifty black and white you know Louisiana parishes and stuff. So I made I made a couple couple race jokes that I thought were hilarious. And all the black people in the audience were dying laughing, and all the white people were like, "Are we allowed to laugh? I don't know what to do now. I'm very nervous." So it was funny. It was funny, and to me, to me. And I said, "That's where I came up with the term. It's race-ish. It's race-ish." I would say, like, don't talk about it. Who will? As like a closing yeah. thought, my big thing is like yeah. listening to this. Listen to this podcast if you are, if you want, like we were talking about, to really encounter real stories. I mean, you're really learning in. In hearing these stories, you're encountering a particular parish, particular school, particular community. You may never have been to any of these communities, but you'll actually hear kind of these micro stories that made up these broader narratives on race in the United States and also race in the church in the United States. And you, it's mm. many of the key points in the story very much so fit with what you'll hear if you go to a place like St. Louis, for example, or East St. Louis, or if you go to a Detroit, or if you go to some like the story is so has so many echoes. And so I think by listening to these these personal stories of these particular individuals, it'll shed a light on the the personal experience that has shaped the current and contemporary time. 
in a very fleshed out way. Um, and it's just, there's so much nuance, there's so much richness in all of the things that if you just listen to one episode, you'll be like, wow, this is like an awesome story in itself. And like, it just continues to build. And then the final episode, when you hear stories from black Catholics, some of you may know, uh, uh, Bishop Braxton, Father Josh Johnson, like many other uh, people who are speaking out in the community in different ways, the Black Catholic community, you're just hearing their experiences and their thoughts on some of these topics that are talked about. Reparations, you know, um, what was your, uh, how did like the situation around 2020 shift your feelings and your thoughts? Like, how has this all come to contemporary day? But you're kind of having the entire broad narrative. And it's not editorial when we have these voices. It's really, you can hear and encounter again brothers and sisters in, in the Catholic Church express their thoughts. It doesn't mean you totally agree. It's not like, hey, you, we're giving you this to agree with everything they're saying. No, just hear them. And like, <laughs> it's it's kind of entering into a dialogue. And uh, I said this in other places, like, I think of race as a dialogue in itself. Like, how we kind of come up with who's black, who's white, all these different things. These categories have always been a dialogue in society, what race means at this particular time. And so this is just a way to kind of enter into this dialogue from a Catholic perspective with the history, with some contemporary thoughts from prominent black Catholics as well yeah with the atonement and with the incarnation and the atonement hanging over everything right Mm -hmm. like we're not allowed to think about these things this is the one thing I think of like we're not allowed to think about anything political justice interrelational uh unless we have the incarnation of Christ Mm -hmm. and and the cross and resurrection and you know hopefully also the eschaton which father Josh talked about you know that that idea that every tribe, nation, and tongue will be gathered exactly. before the throne right. of the Lamb. 100%. And yeah. when you yeah, have, if you, this, think, if you think you're going to be uncomfortable, if this podcast is going to make you uncomfortable, good. <laughs> it, you, like listen to listen to it for that very reason, because I, I think you should be uncomfortable. I mean, I, it made me very uncomfortable when I started doing some of these interviews, and then it, you'll soften up to to some of these things. Like Lewis said, you know, like you take a, a little slice of life, right? A little slice of history. And you find out that this story happened in Baltimore, but it happened in other cities throughout the country in a time where there's no internet. It took a very long time to communicate. And somehow these same things happen in all these different places. Yep. You know? It's it's a very it's a very interesting thing. Yeah. Oh. Edward, last words? I don't I mean I'll see you on Tuesday. I, I don't I don't <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna buy me a frozen margarita. It'll be beautiful. Yeah. And we can talk about the Houston experience. There we go. There we go. Oh, beautiful. Okay, so everyone, Ark and Dove podcast, it'll be in the show notes. We hope you take a listen. Hope you go through it. Again, we also need to support narrative podcasts because I think they're, to me, that's like the the highest form because it has to be so well done. Yeah. Like this is just me talking uh, uh, without wearing pants. And, <laughs> For you, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm assured that all of you are wearing pants in every episode. So, but no, like this, this is important. This is great, and also I just love podcasts as a form and the fact that this is there and it's so well done. Like you, people got to give it a listen. So cool. Thank you all so much for coming on the show. I'm gonna hit stop right now, and I don't want you to leave. So stop. Boom.